Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Romans chapter 10 and Romans chapter 4. Last, well, I said last week, two weeks ago, uh, we closed out talking about the fact that Romans chapter 10 gives us the how faith works. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, and we'll read it here in just a minute, is what I call the cardinal rule or law of faith. It tells us how faith works and, and, and how to work it. And then we looked at, at the fourth chapter of Romans and we talked about uh, the fourth chapter of Romans gives more detail and really tells us why it works the way it does and why uh, speaking and so forth is effective. So let's first of all read Romans chapter 10. And uh, in verse number nine, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. There's a translation that I really like and it's the Phillips translation and the latter part of verse 10 reads this way in the Phillips translation. Uh, the first part of verse 10 says, for with the heart one believes and then the Phillips translation says, and it is stating his belief by his own mouth that confirms his salvation. Notice that it's a heart issue when it comes to believing. It's not just believing with your mind, it's believing with your heart. Pastor Greg talked about how there are in, in Europe, and it's not just in Europe, it's here in the United States, a lot of people call themselves Christians because they believe in their mind. They have mentally agreed with the idea that Jesus is the savior of the world. They don't know a whole lot about the Bible. They just know that much that Jesus is the son of God. He's the savior of the world. But it's, it's a mental belief. They've never really believed on him. They believe in him, but they've never believed on him in their heart. They've never experienced a new birth. We've had people right here in our own church that have come out of some of these denominations and, uh, and testified that they thought they were saved until they heard more of the gospel and found out what a person does to get saved and found out that it's a personal relationship with Jesus, not just a mental assent, a mental agreeing with. Number of people in this congregation. So they came out of religions like that and they thought they were believing the gospel. They thought they were Christians. This is, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. But you see, it's believing in the heart. Tr believing in the heart is trusting him for your salvation. Amen. And, and then we discovered, according to this passage, that, that the believing is essential, but it's only part of the salvation transaction. It's only part of, the, of, of what uh, is required in order for a person to go from death to life, to actually experience a new birth, he has to do two things, not just one thing. He has to believe in his heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And then he confesses with his mouth that Jesus is his Lord. And Philip's translation says, it is stating his belief with his own mouth that confirms his salvation. How many of you have ever started to order something online? You went online and you're gonna buy a product and you, and you hit purchase. And then another button pops up and says, do you really wanna purchase this? Well, you've already said you wanna purchase it, but you have to confirm it. And until you confirm it, it's only half done. Isn't that right? They've got your information. They know who you are. They know a lot about you just as soon as you went online. Isn't that right? I mean, digitally, they know. They know you want this because if you back out of that 
transaction, uh, you know, a few hours later, you'll get a flag somewhere saying, oh yeah, we have these other things for you as well. Isn't that right? So they know what you're interested in. They know what you believe in. They know what you believe in, but until you confirm it, it's not done. It's confessing with your mouth, stating what you believe with your mouth that confirms what you believe in your heart. We illustrated how a sinner who is enlightened, he comes to understand, yes, I I believe Jesus is the son of God. I, I believe he did die on a cross. I believe he did shed his blood. I believe he did pay the price for my sin. I believe he, 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 he not only died and buried, I believe he was raised from the dead and he's alive now. He's not just a, a, a religious symbol. I believe he's alive and I believe he did it for me. That person's real close, but they're not saved yet. They're not saved yet. They're real close because they believe it. I'm, see, they haven't said anything. This is what's going on in their heart. We call that, and the Bible describes it as once being enlightened. They're enlightened. But you see, you have to act on that. Like I said last week, that's why when I give invitations, years ago I used to say, you know, anybody here want to receive Jesus, just lift your hand, and I would pray a prayer. The problem with that is I don't know what happens after that. I don't know how they prayed. I don't know if they repeated it after me. I I don't even know if they understood because I might not have been teaching on salvation that particular service. So if they just raised their hand, yes, I believe, they could go out thinking, well, that's all there is to it, but they've never really said what they believe. You say, well, pastor, you're, you're, you're being real technical. Yeah, just like that verse. Just, I mean, the verse, the verse says what it says. And it's not just an isolated verse. This is how faith works in every arena. No matter what the faith uh, transaction is, no matter what it is you believe you receive, it still has to be acted on. And the primary way you act on it is by putting words to it. That's the most fundamental way. So the sinner, this is what we were talking about last week, he comes to a place of decision. He has decided that he believes in Jesus. He believes it. Then he confesses Jesus as Lord. He says, I believe. Now we used to say it like this. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Same thing. Same thing. He's confessing the Lordship of Jesus. Well, at the, at the moment that he says it, He's not, Jesus isn't his Lord. Because he's, he, hasn't, he hasn't said it yet. Are you following what I'm saying? It's, it's not, Jesus is Lord, but he's not his Lord. He, at that point, he is not saved. At that point, he is still in the kingdom of darkness, even though he's enlightened. Technically, Satan is still his Lord. You understand what I mean by that. Every unsaved person is under the dominion of darkness and the devil is really running their life and is really their Lord. So the sinner has to confess that Jesus is his Lord while he's not his Lord. And it's the confession of his faith that causes Jesus to become his Lord. Well, that that same thing plays out. That same process plays out in any arena, whatever it is you're believing God for. You believe it, but it will not become a reality until you say it. In every arena. Just sitting there in your chair this morning, think about some area in your life where you have a need and you want to see God move in that arena, in that that area of your life. 
Well, get into the word, find out what the word says about it and feed on the word along those lines until faith is just, or is just bubbling up on the inside of you. You know that you know, you're absolutely convinced this is mine, God gave it to me. I believe this is the will of God. Well, see, you've believed, you receive it. The next step is then to confirm what you believe. Amen. Now, why does it work this way? Well, turn over to Romans chapter four. In Romans chapter four, the apostle Paul was describing Abraham's faith. Paul was describing how Abraham used his faith and how his faith was accredited to him for righteousness. In other words, he was made righteous by faith. Abraham wasn't made righteous by the law, by the works of the law. He was made righteous by his faith. And this tells us how this happened and it show, shows us why it happened. So it's, it, it, in here it starts in chapter four and goes through, you know, uh, starts with David and then talks about Abraham. And it says in verse number 16, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are, are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, it's interesting here, just a little side note, he said Abraham is the father of us all. Now, Paul was writing his letter, not to the church in Jerusalem, but to the church in Rome. The church in Rome was made up more of Gentiles than it was Jews. Now, the church in Jerusalem was mostly uh, uh, believers from a Jewish background. But the church in Rome would have been believers that had both, but it was more likely it was made up of Gentile believers. They never knew anything about Abraham. They're not part of the old covenant. They're not part of God's chosen people. But he said, Abraham is the father of us all. All of us who are of faith. See, he is the father of our faith because he's the one that's, that acted in faith and covenanted, went and entered into a covenant uh, relationship with God through whom God sent Jesus Christ on the basis of that covenant that he made with Abraham. He made certain promises to Abraham. Abraham believed those promises and he acted on his faith and, and God said to, your, to, your, to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. We know the seed was Christ. He was the ultimately ultimate seed and when we were, were uh, brought into Christ, when we were joined to Christ in the new birth, then we became the seed of Abraham. That, in that sense, he is the father of us all, okay? That the promise might be to all the seed, be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us, of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God. Now here's the, here's the principle right now. Here's why we confess. Here's why we say something. And this is why our words confirm what's in our heart. Because God who gives life to the dead calls those things which do not exist as though they did. This is how God operates. He calls things that do not exist as though they did. Isn't that what the sinner's doing when he says, Jesus, you are my Lord. He's calling something that does not exist that is not a reality. He's calling it as though it is. And we know what happens, it becomes. See, God moves on the faith that's in his heart and the words of his mouth. Well, that's exactly how God moves himself. He calls those things which do not exist as though they did exist. He gives life to the dead. 
That's how he gives life to the dead. He gives life to the dead with his words. Isn't that what Jesus did? Little girl, I say unto you, arise. You say, well, yeah, I understand that because God can do it. You know, he's God. When Jesus said, little girl, I say unto you, arise, he was not speaking as God. We understand he was God, but we've been over this. He was ministering as a man. He did not raise the dead because he was God. He didn't raise the dead, walk on the water, feed the multitudes. He didn't do any of the miracles he did out of his deity. He did it as a man speaking the word in faith. Jesus gave life to the dead when he said, little girl, I say unto you, arise. Well, that was Jesus though. This is the same thing Peter did over in Joppa. Remember that? They brought him into the room. Was it Dorcas? Was that her name? Huh? <laughs> Pastor Greg says, terrible name. <laughs> Nonetheless, he spoke the word and said, arise. What did Peter do? He gave life to the dead. Did he not? Did he not? He gave life to the dead. What did he do? He called those things which do not exist as though they did. Yeah, but he was Peter. Yeah, exactly. Now I know the Catholic Church has exalted Peter way up here, you know. You know, he was a he was just a great, you know, they say he's the head of the church, you know, he was, you know, his successor and all that. You know, he, he Oh, Peter had some problems. He was about as flaky as <laughs> pick your name. He was about as unreliable, about as carnal. He was as human as anybody. Jesus was as human as anybody. We stumble over that a little bit, but come on, Peter. He, with his words, he gave life to the dead by calling those things which do not exist as though they did. This is why the confession of your mouth, the words of your mouth confirm what you believe in your heart. This is why the words of your mouth confirm, confirms what's in your heart, what you believe. Because that's the way God designed it. He does it himself. In fact, like I, I think I brought this out last week, we were getting close to the end here. In, in, it says here in the, in the King James and in most uh, modern translations, as it, is, as it is written, then it quotes from, from Genesis 17, 5, God said to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. Now remember, if you go back to, to the book of Genesis chapter 17, uh, at this time, Abraham was 99 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 89 years old. They had one 13-year-old boy, Ishmael, and, and God changed his name. He said, your name will no longer be Abraham, which was just a, a name of honor. It meant, the name Abraham meant exalted father. He said, no longer will you be called Abraham. You will be called Abraham, Abram, excuse me. No longer will you be called Abram. You will be called Abraham. The word Abraham means the father of a multitude. And Abraham, you know, he had been called Abram for 99 years. Everybody knew he was Abram. And, and God said, you will no longer be called Abram. You will be called Abraham. So who's gonna get the word out? Did God, just God write it in the sky? No, he told Abraham. You will no longer be called Abram. You will be called Abraham. Didn't tell anybody else. So Abraham had to get the word out. 
Abraham had to tell every time. How many hundred times do you think that happened? Every person. I'm sure it caused a stir. But no telling how long that took. Oh, Abram, hadn't seen you in so long. Come here, buddy. I have something to explain to you. That's not my name anymore. My name is the father of a multitude. That was his responsibility. What was he doing? He was calling those things which be not as though they were. Now, in my older, I have a, a Bible at home, one of my uh, earlier Bibles, and it was the, the, uh, the regular King James, but it was the Cambridge Bible. Very nice Bible. It was, uh, I bought it because it had a genuine uh, what kind of skin it was uh, really nice skin leather and, uh, and it was a wide margin Bible it was a very expensive Bible and I got it because it was wide margin had this very durable leather not this cheap leather like this one and uh, I forgot what it was calf skin or something something really nice you know the only problem is you know the, that leather is still today I mean it is nice but there's pages are falling out of the Bible. So I, I learned real quick, you know, don't spend a lot of money on the outside because the outside's gonna last, but then you can't have any pages anymore, you know? So I finally wore that Bible out. But uh, in that old Cambridge Bible, here in verse number 17, where it says, in the presence of him, in the presence of him whom he believed, in my old Cambridge Bible, there's a note there, and it says, like unto him, whom he believed. And I've also found that same rendering of that in, in several commentaries that I have, older commentaries of the scriptures. So an alternative reading there is, as it is written, God speaking, I have made you a father of many nations. And then talking about Abraham, like unto him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Abraham acted like unto him whom he believed. Do you see that? It's exactly what he did. He started calling things which be not, things that do not exist as though they did exist. Friend, this is the life of faith. This is the life of faith. When Jesus was uh, on, on his way to Jairus' house, Jairus came up and said, Master, you know, my little girl is at the point of death. He said, I will come and, and, and I'll come to your house and, and heal her. And, and as he's making his way, you remember the story of the woman who, with the issue of blood, she came up and, and was gloriously healed. And then while that was uh, being wrapped up, somebody came and said to Jairus, uh, don't, don't trouble the master anymore. Uh, you know, your daughter's dead. Go with me over to Luke. We, we usually read this in Mark's gospel simply because I like Mark's gospel primarily for most of these kinds of uh, accounts because Mark's gospel usually gives more detail than some of the others. But go to Luke chapter eight. In this particular occasion, It, it brings this out a little bit better. While In verse number 49, it says, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, speaking to, to Jairus. Do not be afraid, only believe and she will live. What is Jesus doing? He's calling those things which be not. She's dead. I said, she's dead. They came and said, your daughter, it's too late. It's too late. Your daughter, you, you, you went to Jesus, but he got delayed with this woman and now it's too late. She's dead. Jesus said, she shall be made well. What's he doing? He's speaking his faith. He said, do not be afraid, only believe she will be made well. And so when he, went in, when he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John and the father and mother, mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her. But he said, do not weep. 
She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. Listen, she was dead. Jesus said, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. But the fact was, she was dead. Was he lying? Did, he tell, did Jesus tell a lie? Was she dead? Did Jesus say she's not dead? She's only sleeping. All right now. What was he saying? He was calling those things that do not exist as though they did. Because he had already said she will be made well. I don't know. There's, there's not any record of anything that, uh, there's not any record of what transpired along the rest of the route to Jairus's house. But I am, I am fairly certain in my own heart that Jesus dealt with that on the way to Jairus's house. And he commanded her to live. Because when he got there, all he said to her was, little girl, I say to you, arise. He had already dealt with it. So when they said, when, when he got there and he said, she's not dead. He, the reason he said that is because he had already dealt with it. He had already called her back. See, faith believes that it receives when it prays. Faith believes that it happens when it speaks. When the word is spoken, that's when, it, that's when it's confirmed. Jesus had already dealt with this by the time he got to this girl's house. And everybody's weeping and wailing and he said, don't, don't be carrying on like this and making such a fuss. She's not dead, she's only asleep. And they ridiculed him. They will ridicule you. People who don't know faith will ridicule you. Well, thank you, pastor. You've really encouraged us this morning. <laughs> if you're not being ridiculed a little bit, you're not in faith. That's just the truth. If people aren't shaking their head at you and going, I don't know what's wrong with that guy. I don't know what's wrong with that gal. She says some of the strangest things. If, if people aren't saying that about you, you're not talking faith enough. They ridiculed the master because they knew she was dead. This is how faith works, friend. Faith calls those things which be not. Those things that do not exist as though they did. I have found in my experience that that is the hardest thing in the world to get Christians to do is to faithfully and consistently call those things which be not. That's the way the older King James reads. That just comes out of me. Things that do not exist as though they did. Oh, yeah. It's easy to get people to do that in church. It's easy to get people to do that in the healing line. It's easy to do that to get in, in, in the prayer of agreement and we turn in a prayer request and get everybody to say it. It's easy here. But what I've found is the hardest thing in the world is to get people to do that when they leave here and the circumstances don't look like they changed. Did, they, did it look any different when Jesus got there? Let me tell you this about Abraham. If you read the story of Abraham... The Lord said, I will, he said, Sarah will bear you a son at this set time next year. That would be 12 months away. Anybody remember how long a pregnancy is? For, not, for, for three months, no change. No, no indication anything's different. Three months. 
Not only was Abraham saying things, he was saying it in the face of circumstances that didn't look any different. His old lady still looked like an old lady. He still looked like an old man. Come on now. See, like I said, people will say it at the outset, but what are you saying a week later? Now, there's something else Abraham did. Can you stay with me? Listen, we started a trend last week. The, the, the time got moved, right? We, got, we established a new precedent, right? Not only did Abraham say this, not only did he believe it and say it, Go back to, to Romans 4. And again, this was over a, a period of time. I'm sure they were doing their part. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah. But nothing's changing. Come on now. Nothing's changing. She's still not pregnant. And, and the Bible says that, that, that both Abraham and Sarah will, were well advanced in years. And, and it, how did it say it in the, in the older King James? It was no longer with Sarah as in the manner of women. In other words, she was postmenopausal. Sarah wasn't even able to conceive when she was young. She, was, she, she had a fertility problem when, when, when she was 20 and 30 and 40. She's now almost 90, 89 years old. And, and on top of, of not being able to have children when she ordinarily would have had children, now she's postmenopausal and they're looking at this every day. The circumstances aren't changing. Did you go back to Romans 4? Here's the rest of it. Who, speaking of Abraham, who was like unto him whom he believed. He operated and practiced like unto him whom he believed. God, who gives life to the dead, calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who, Abraham, who contrary to hope, there was no hope. There was no hope. In hope, believed. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. In hope believed so that he actually became the father of many nations. If you are actually going to become, if it's actually going to become a reality in your life, you're gonna to have to follow the steps of Abraham. There is no shortcut. This will work every time. And if you don't do it like he did it, it won't work. Now, verse number 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body now dead since he was about 100 years old. 99's about 100. It's close enough for me. Nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. He would not consider the circumstances. He just wouldn't consider it. 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 For three months, he just wouldn't consider it. And probably longer than that because you get pregnant, you don't know it that day most of the time. Most women, I don't think, do right away. So it could have been four months. I don't know. But the point is, nothing seemed Nothing, actually nothing did change for three months. God hadn't moved. God hadn't moved. The miracle hadn't taken place. And yet he said it to everybody that greeted him. Hey, Abraham, nope, I'm the father of a multitude. Change, change the way you talk. If you don't talk to me, you gotta change the way you call me. He did that with nothing going on, nothing. 
as far as God was concerned, was nothing happening. He, did, he refused to consider his own body nor Sarah's body. Now notice, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. What would be, what would constitute wavering at the promise of God through unbelief? Considering his body. Considering his body, you can say it like this, considering the circumstances is wavering at the promise of God through unbelief. I'm gonna say it again. Considering the circumstances is wavering at the promise of God through unbelief. You get your eyes on the, on the circumstances, you get your eyes off of the promise, you get your eyes off of the word, you, get, you start thinking about the situation and how it looks, you start wavering. You'll waver. The older King James says he staggered not. You'll start staggering in your faith. Said he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Why? Because he didn't consider. He would not, he refused to, you know it was a battle? You know what that old woman looked like? Now come on now. You know that was a battle? She was 90 years, he was almost 100. That's reality, smacking you in the face every day. He did not consider his body nor Sarah's body. And because he did not consider, he did not waver at the promise of God. Amen. I know, well, let's, it wouldn't be right not to finish this. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but what did he do? If, if, if he wasn't gonna consider his body, what did he consider? He was strong in faith. He grew stronger in faith, strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Amen. Being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Instead of considering his body, he considered what God said. And that's all he considered. And he continually gave glory to God. He kept praising God. He kept his eyes on the prize. He kept his eyes on, the, on what God said. What God said is next year, this same time, you're gonna have a son through Sarah. He just kept looking at that. He wouldn't look at anything else and just kept saying glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Woo, glory, 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 glory. I'm the father of a multitude. <laughs> What I started to say is it's, it's one thing to know these things, it's another to do it. What I'm wanting to do is inspire you to actually do it a week out, two weeks out, however long it takes to stop wavering by getting your eyes off of, the, of what God said. You remember the testimony about my heel? It's the same, it's the same thing. I, I had to make a decision, do I believe this or not? And I finally just said, you know what? I believe I've received the healing of my, of my foot, my heel. And so, you know, if you're healed, you don't walk around and favor it and try to walk, you know, careful. That's not the way I normally walk. It's not the way I've been walking this morning. So I've decided I'm going to act like it's true. And I started saying, thank God for my healing. Thank God for my healing. And then I just started walking as normally as I physically could. Like I said, it, it, it hurts so bad when I walk that I, I didn't seem like, maybe I, maybe I could have, but I, I tried to walk as determined, as deliberate as I could. And I know there was a little giddy up in my walk here, you know, at least a little bit, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, 
But I kept doing that, thanking God, thanking God, thanking God, thanking God, thanking God. Some, at some point during the day, earlier in you know, that, that late morning, I guess, I noticed, I'm not limping. I'm, that's, my heel doesn't even hurt. Now, here's what a lot of people do. And I know this happened this week. I tell people, and, and, I'm, and I, you know, you try to explain it and then you realize you didn't explain it as well. You ever tried to explain something to somebody and you realize, I could have said that better? I'm still trying to perfect what I'm saying here. When, when you are, when you believe you receive, whether hands are laid on you or you just believe on your own, if you've got a sore shoulder like our brother did the other night, if you believe you've received your healing, then stop acting like you're not healed. So, so I've said it like this, do something you couldn't do. That wasn't the best way to say it. Uh, a better way to say it is don't do, don't not do anything you'd ordinarily do. And just to show the devil, see, just to show the devil that I, I believe this and I am not taking anything less than my healing I put my shoe on. I hadn't been wearing a shoe. I put my shoe on and I started watching. I said, you are not going to, I am going to overcome. What was I doing? I was walking like I normally walk. So that's what I tell people. Do what you couldn't do. Now, I'm not gonna reach this arm up and try to touch my right ear. I don't normally do that. So I'm not, I'm not talking about doing crazy things. I'm talking about doing what you'd ordinarily do. Do what you'd ordinarily, you'd ordinarily be able to do. Just do it. I guarantee you this is what happened, and I know it from experience. Some of you, Sister Ann said, do something that you couldn't ordinarily, and you did it, and it hurt, and you got discouraged right then. You were just sure that when you did it, it wouldn't hurt, and it did hurt. And it hurt when you got back to your seat. And it hurt when you got home. I know this because I know human nature. And some of you thought, well, I, I, was, I, thought, I really thought I was healed. I really thought I was healed, but you know, nothing changed. In the mid-70s, I think it was around 1975, I broke my ankle. Now, I didn't know I broke it at the time, but in the 90s, I had a jet ski and I thought I broke my ankle and because I heard it pop and I went to the doctor, I kept jet skiing that day because I knew if I went in, Angela said, we got to go to the doctor and then it's the end of my vacation. <laughs> and we were over on the coast of Titusville area vacation. I thought, I am not, I'm out here. I might as well just continue to enjoy it. It's already broken. It's not going to feel any better if I go to the doctor. So I stayed out there the rest of the day. Anyway, when I, and she said, yeah, we're going to the doctor. So Went to the doctor and he x-rayed it and he said, well, it's not broken, but you've broken it before. Well, the only other injury I've ever had like that to, to an ankle was in 1975. I was, was it 74? It was just before, yeah, that's right. This morning, this morning I, I went to church there from 73 to 78, so in the middle, it was about 75. No, it was 74, just before he was born. I was playing basketball at the church. Bunch of us guys just a pickup game, you know, I was playing basketball and I went up and I came down wrong on that ankle. And I thought I sprained it. That thing swelled up so big. And I immediately jumped up, you know, I'm healed, praise God, I believe I'm healed. I believe I received my healing, you know. <laughs> and that was on a Saturday, I guess. And the next day, in, in the Sunday night service, the pastor called for anybody that wanted prayer. And I came up to the front. I'm going I'm to get my healing this time, praise God. I'm going to get my, so hands were laid on me and I stood, and I knew I stood there just as, as strong as I could. And, and I remember my, my ankle, my whole lower leg was just shaking like this because it just hurt so bad. I was trying to just stand there and receive my healing. And I was determined I was healed. And I knew to expect it, you know, to, to, to maybe take a little while. But I remember what happened. I went back to my seat and the devil said, it's not changed, you still hurt. And I don't, rem I don't remember how long I lasted, but it wasn't very long. 
until I, I felt so defeated, I thought, well, praise God. I sure thought this would have changed by now. Hadn't changed, and I gave up. I guarantee you that's what some of you did. Hands were laid on you, and you thought it would happen sooner, and it didn't. And at some point, you said, well, praise God. You know, it's just like it was. Do not consider your own body. If you, want to, if you want to walk in faith, if you want to receive your answer, whether it's a healing or whatever it is, once you believe you receive it, do not consider the circumstances. Do not consider, it's not, you're not saying those things aren't true, but you do not consider the circumstances. You don't consider it. But instead, you give glory to God and you just keep doing that. And you just keep doing that, and you just keep doing that. You have, faith requires a I won't quit kind of mentality. Faith to, requires tenacity. It just requires, I mean, just a, a, a fight. You have to have a fight in you if you're going to live by faith. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is the way it works. And this is why it works this way. You say, well, you know, that's okay for God. That's okay for Jesus. Well, what about Abraham? What about, what about Peter? What about Paul? What did Paul say? Said Corinthians chapter four. We believe and therefore we speak. Amen. He said this light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far exceeding weight of glory. Why and when? While we, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We don't look at the things which are, we look at the things which are not. The things we've called. Faith, God, calls those things which be not those things that do not exist as though they did and faith keeps looking at those things. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'll let you out of here. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Let's stand up. I'm telling you, a lot of people know to do this because they've been in this church for 30 years. It's not what you know, it's what you do. It's not what you know, it's what you do. I don't care what's wrong with you. I'm not saying I don't care about you. I'm just saying, regardless. Regardless of what's wrong with you. Regardless of the challenge you're facing. Financial, physical, mental, and your family, Regardless of what it is, it's not knowing what to do, it's doing it and, and making up your mind, I will not recant. And, I, and, and as, you, as you walk through a process like this, stay open to the Holy Spirit because he will, he will enlighten you as you go. And... He, he, there's something I'm believing God for right now. And I thought I was doing everything. And just this morning, we were standing there in, in praise and worship and the Lord showed me an area where I, where I was compromised and it was very subtle, a very subtle compromise. He said, you're doing this because you didn't, you're not really believing like you should. I thought, yeah, I see that. Just a little adjustment. Just a little adjustment. If you... What, what trips a lot of people up is they hear a message like this and then they try it and they just keep trying it and trying it and trying it and, it's, and, and they're not getting anywhere but either they're not in faith or they're not listening to the Spirit of God because He will give you insight. He will help you in your faith. He will inspire you and He will instruct you in your faith. As you're, as you're making progress in this faith journey for whatever it is, 
Keep your spiritual ears open. Keep your spiritual ears open. I remember something Lillian Yeoman said. I actually, I was looking for the quote, Brother Hagin always quoted Lillian Yeoman and, and he quoted her as saying, if I pray for anything one time and I don't get an answer, I change how I was praying. Well, I wanted to see more about that. So I got all, all of my Lillian Yeoman books and, and I went, then I couldn't find that quote. Here, look for a quote in a book. I couldn't find it. But I stumbled upon this. You know, she was, a, she was an opium addict. She was a medical doctor. And she started, because of the hours and the things that, you know, the grueling schedule she had, she started taking opium and eventually became a raving addict. She lost her practice. She lost her her. Uh, reputation in the community. She was a drugged out mess. She was taking a hundred times what people, this is what I read in her book, she was injecting herself a hundred times the opium level that she was giving patients to control pain. And she couldn't get enough because she was a doctor. She could order all of this stuff, you know. This was way back in the early, early 1900s, I guess. I don't remember exactly when, a long time ago. And so she had a supply of opium, but she, she lost her, her practice. She lost her name in the community. She was an outcast. People tried to help her. She went to other doctors. They couldn't get her any, any help. She went in treatment programs, came out just the way she was. God delivered her. But here's what I read. This was so helped me. She said, I almost got... No, she said, I almost lost interest. She said, when I was delivered from opium addiction, she said, I got to the place that I was so sure of the promises of God. Here, now listen to this. She said, I almost lost interest in the symptoms. She's almost lost it. In other words, she got to where she just quit looking at the symptoms. She lost interest in the symptoms. You have to get to the place where you lose interest in the symptoms because you're so in love with the, with the facts of God's word, the truth of God's word, that the symptoms are just not entertaining to you anymore. They just don't do it for you anymore. They just don't have what, they, what it used to have, praise God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.